Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Quickly's triple double uh, by my co-host Stacy. That's at Stacy Patton eighty nine. Stacy, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I want to know how many other people that wrote scouting profiles on Emmanuel Quickly thought he would get a triple double within his first two years. That's where I'm at. Did you write that in your profile that he would get a triple double? I'm gonna go add that back in. So ask me in five minutes. But yeah, nice, nice, very uh, Chad Ford of you. Um, all right, cool. Well, before we get started, I do need to mention that the Strickland does have a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday that I do with Prez. You'll also get access to the Strickland Discord where we talk about the Knicks constantly, all the time, 24-7. You also get access to the mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. There's further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to my solo pod, uh, if you want to listen to me yell even more about the Knicks. Uh, but more importantly, you get access to weekly articles by the wonderful Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. Um, so definitely would recommend trying that out. There's further tiers. There's a $50, $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. Those come with additional benefits like merchandise discounts, listening in on pod recordings, uh, live watch parties, even potentially hosting a pod one day alongside us. But whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. Thank you for your support. And without further ado, let's get started. Uh, so the Knicks beat the Orlando Magic today. Uh, or what What was left of the Orlando Magic? Because it was like it was like the Magic's G League squad. There was no Franz. It was John Beeline's first recruiting class, basically. Or basically. Recruiting class. It, it, was, it was pretty awful. Um, I think there was no Franz, there's no Jalen Suggs, there was no Wendell Carter Jr. Cole Anthony played about two seconds before he left the game. Can I, can um, I ask you? Sorry, you can get into this. I have I can't remember the last time I saw a guy as freakishly fast with the ball as RJ Hampton. Like every time he had the ball, I had a moment of panic because he would get by someone. And then a moment of calm, because like once he gets by someone, he has no idea what to do. But he's extremely quick, right? Or am I wrong on that? No, he he is super super fast, and uh, and he's like six six. So he's, he's I think he's like I would put his quickness, raw quickness, on level with like Jaw. But um, you know, he, he doesn't do anything else right now. It, or at least today, it didn't look like it. I'm sure maybe it was today was a bad day, but yeah, you know, that's kind of my take on him. Yeah, no, it's uh, he he's really fast, and you can kind of see why, um, you know, um, what the kind of appeal of him is as a player because that speed is not. I mean, you can't teach that, right? Like that's just a natural, god given ability. And the thing is, though, like, how does he leverage it? And I was actually thinking while we were watching the game, or while I was watching the game, like, how? I mean, I, I just fundamentally was like. 
this he feels like their tank commander this year because I don't think he has any idea what he's doing when he's running point. Um, and I thought it was funny that he came back in when they had like cut the lead to twenty one or whatever. But is is Moutier comp? Because like even Moutier, like he wasn't that, like he is he is lightning fast. I guess I don't know. I'm not using a whole lot of creative vocabulary or diverse insights, but like he seems singular from that. You know? Yeah. No, he's he's definitely got something, but. Um, you know, it's uh, I, I don't know. They're, they're they're such a weird team. They have so many guards now um, that they're like developing, or you know, I mean, you have Fultz too, who's like kind of in his prime years or approaching his prime years. Um, then you have obviously R.J. Hampton, who they got in the Aaron Gordon trade, and then they have Cole Anthony, and they have Jalen Suggs who they drafted. So I don't know what they're gonna do, but it does feel like they're a team that has a lot of shit going on, and probably might need to consolidate some of that this offseason. Um, but, all right, let's 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 get into this. Uh, the Knicks obviously won the game. I think Emmanuel quickly, uh, he had 20, 20, 20, 10, and 10. Uh, he's the second youngest Nick ever to have a triple-double. I thought he was really, really good. I thought he was really good yesterday, too, against Cleveland, a game which was miserable, absolutely miserable watching that game. The decision making, and I don't want to start. I, I, I hate having to be negative, but like, I just can't. I, I don't know how people watch the shit that we are having to watch in terms of Tibbs's decision making and rotations, and think that you can like. What is the reason to bring this guy back? You know, and I just don't see it. I it's really frustrating for me. Yesterday was one of the most frustrating games I think of the entire season because you didn't have Randall, right? Uh, Deuce and Grimes didn't play yesterday. They were injured. And this guy is still just doing crazy shit. He's still, like, I, I, I forget the exact minutes. I mean, quickly, the only reason he played more than Burks yesterday is because Burks got into foul trouble. And even today, uh, against the Magic, you know, he had, like, 13, 5, and 5 in the first half. But he was, he had pulled quickly with, like, 3.30 left in the half, and he went back to Evan, and Evan picked up a foul like immediately after. So he had to Evan's, a, Evan's a real point guard, exactly. But like, it's just it's stuff like that. Like, so then then so then quickly ended up closing the half. But the original plan essentially had it set so that he would play less minutes than Burks and Evan, and that's been the case all year. And it's just like insane to me to want to bring this guy back because either he thinks that. Like he, I don't know what he thinks. I don't understand his logic. His logic just seems to be quickly younger than Burks and Evan. So I have, I can't trust him as much as I want. To, I, I would generally trust that. And I know that you know Fournier hasn't closed every game. Quickly closes more often than Fournier. But that, I mean, that's that's kind of the point, right? It's like, okay, well, then why can't you start him? And it would make sense because whether you want to move Burks or Fournier back to or to the bench, like I think. It just makes their lives those two like I think they would benefit from that from playing with quickly um, and not having to bring the ball up as much you know for Brooks especially so I, I just don't understand it and yesterday was incredibly frustrating for me I thought it was a ridiculous coaching performance to watch uh, just a joke in so many ways yeah so, so. no sorry you gonna say yeah um, I um. I think today was more frustrating for me. 
because it was a blowout, and Tibbs made sure that Burks finished the third quarter, and then when they got to 22, you know, they got the lead down to 22. That was, I believe, 22 or 20, or maybe it was 19. It was 21. It was 21. And then he subbed out McBride. And the thing is, like, <laughs> I, I know, like, I don't think you're as quite as high on McBride as I am. But, um, A, like, I would encourage you to go watch the shots he's taken. Like, he's a very pure shooter. Um, but besides that, like, Tips took him out the first time. He got four minutes. Tips took him out because every every offensive opportunity they had ended with an open Taj jump shot that he bricked, which he could have changed to something else. Which how does that have to do with Miles McBride? And he wasn't really fucking up on defense. And on the second time, you know he he actually had a couple of really tough shots, and you can see how pure his stroke is. I mean, he's a shooter. And he pushes the ball and he plays defense. Like, and he got <laughs> 10 minutes today, and Alec Burks got 31. And it's just like, man, like. Well, the season's over, too. When, That's no, the really frustrating part about it. But when you're evaluating coach's job, I don't know. Like, ultimately, whether or not Deuce McBride gets 10 minutes or 20 minutes doesn't have a huge bearing on whether the Knicks wear, you know, win a. A championship during the next five years, but it still is annoying. And it's like, why? Like, there's nothing to play for right now, and it's your your starters aren't playing that well to begin with. You know? Yeah, I think the so the Burks. I, I'll be completely honest. I and I I do like Alec Burks. I'm sorry. I I but I like him off ball, and I do think like he doesn't need to play 40 minutes. If if, if Alec Burks played 30 minutes a game, I would be. You know, I I would I'd be fine with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I'll I'll be honest. I didn't actually have a huge issue with Burks's minutes today. Uh, not in the sense of like, like yeah, I do think Deuce and um, Grimes they should have played more today. It was a good opportunity to get them more minutes. Um, but more in the sense of like, I actually really like that lineup with Quick, Burks, and RJ. I think those three play off of each other pretty well. Um, and I just like seeing it because I think um, there's just value in kind of what Burks provides in that group with them. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, to your point, he didn't need to play 33 minutes tonight. He definitely didn't need to play the entire third quarter. Um, he didn't need to come back in on the fourth quarter. Like, yes, I know that Orlando made a little bit of a run, but it's like, you know, were they really going to make a 30-point comeback and finish off a 30-point comeback. And, you know, I think they they were up 20 with, like, five and a half left or something like that when he made subs to bring Burks back. Don't in. sleep on Mo Wagner, man. He once broke at Michigan State players' ankles. It's true. Um, but I, I just – I thought it was – it's it, it, it's ridiculous. It's, it's actually ridiculous to me. Um, and I hate – again, I hate having to, like – I mean, I guess I don't have to be, but it's annoying that I'm, I feel like more annoyed than I am just happy because it was like, look, this game, 
forgetting yesterday's game, which was atrocious. But this game today was actually like really fun. You know, I mean, quickly played great. I thought RJ had a pretty solid game after he was terrible. Quickly had, quickly had a Russell Westbrook. I'm sorry, quickly had a triple double, and it wasn't a rubble at Russell Westbrook because it was mostly helpful to the team. My question to you, Shwini, is I think I've been higher on Deuce than you so far. And I don't think I'm not going to fight you on that. But I think he's the only person that got shortchanged today, right? Because Jericho got great minutes. Grimes could have probably gotten more minutes. But, you know, he got minutes. It's really Deuce, right? Do you feel strongly about that? Or do you think it's not even a question of how good Deuce is as a player? Yeah, I'd be I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think with Deuce, uh, like, so my my entire thing is like I actively chose not to give a shit about the draft last year. Like, I, I didn't do research. I was not crunching tape. So when I basically all I have to go by with evaluating Deuce as a prospect is just what we've seen at the NBA level, which is very minimal. You know, there, there hasn't been a lot of minutes for him. And he's obviously had some really good games, and he's also had stretches where he can't buy a bucket. Um, I just, watching him, I tend to believe that the shot will come around. I'm not that worried about it. I think if you give him more minutes, he'll make more shots. Um, and he'll get oh, I don't think it's a question of coming around. Like you, you see the shot he makes, you know, like, they're not easy shots. They're not... Well, and I actually, and one thing I I actually mentioned this to Prez, uh, we were talking about this, uh, we were DMing about it, but I kind of like, I've watched a lot of the Kings this year, and I think Davion's development is really interesting for Deuce because so much, and Davion's definitely more of an explosive athlete than Deuce is, but so much of their game, uh, from what I've seen of Deuce and what I've seen of Davion, so much of their offensive game revolves around that pull-up shooting and I think with Davion you saw early in the season he couldn't he couldn't hit shots you know because he's a job and it's like is it because he couldn't shoot or is it because he had to adjust to uh the speed of the game you know you're jumping up a level right from college to the NBA uh the athletes are are bigger they're faster they can jump higher so you have to get used to that and I think that affected his shooting percentages but now you're seeing Davion, as the season goes on, he's having a really nice close to the season. And I just watched Deuce, and I feel like so much of what he's dealing with in terms of, well, he's not making shots, I just think he's getting used to the speed of the game. And I think when he when that happens, when he gets enough reps and when he's really up to, up to speed, I guess, I think you'll see him make a jump. Um, I don't know if he's going to be a star or a good player or a starter or what, but I do think that he's got like tools to be a solid rotation piece at least. Um, and I would like to see him play more. I mean, I, I've, I wasn't really that adamant about it earlier in the season because I understand, you know, you signed Kemba, uh, quickly is there. Like, I understand why he didn't feature from day one, right? You know, I, I get that. And I wasn't that pissed about it. But, but did you see, did you see his jump shots? Like his, he hit a few jump shots. Oh yeah, he looked great today. His jumper, his, he had one uh, on the wing that I mean, was really, really nice. Um, would you not call that elite? Even by NBA standards, like that's it's a quick release. Like I think he he has a better jumper than quickly. Okay, let me let me quick preface that. Uh, the process is better than quickly's. If quickly makes it more often, that's just because he's a fucking 
he's Emmanuel Quickly, who spends all his time doing shit, but um, he's, like, on that level, you know? Yeah, no, no. I mean, I definitely... Um... I do. I like. I said. I, I buy the jumper. Um, I, I think it's definitely going to come around. And he's got a nice high release point on it. Um, the arc is nice. He gets rotation on the but ball. Like, but That's with great. him, I think part of the question is: when you say I buy the jump shot, do you mean forty percent, thirty six percent? You know, what do you mean by that? I mean, I would say what he shot forty percent uh, in college last year. In college and the G League, but we're talking about pro pro percentages, right? What do you see him shooting in the league? Uh, I mean, I have no real way of knowing, but I guess if I was guessing, I would guess like 37, 38% on volume, on, you know, on, on off the dribble volume. So um, whatever that, like the percentage is probably not going to be necessarily an indication of how good a shooter he is. Uh, I think it's pretty helpful. I mean, you watch a lot, so like I think people who watch a lot don't often give their um, give their first impressions. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, I just I Deuce is really interesting to me because I I you know I just want to see more of him, and I just and I, I think ultimately that's my frustration is because if we were playing for playoff seating or something like that, I'd understand the reticence to give him more minutes. Um, that wouldn't bother me. But this season went off the rails a long time ago. And while it was going off the rails, we just didn't try anything. And one of the things we could have tried is obviously playing Deuce more. Um, and that's not to say, like, you know, give him 30 minutes a night and, like, feature him or something like that. No, but um, I just think he needed to get more It's reps. also a domino effect, right? You start quickly, then Deuce can be your backup point guard. And to the extent you're worried about that, Burks can be the, um, you know, uh, mitigator, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah, it's just, it, it's, it, it compounds. Um, and that's really like the biggest issue because, and especially, this is the most frustrating part of it because a lot, like, most coaches in the NBA stagger pretty frequently. They usually make multiple substitutions in halves and in games. And Tibbs, is very rigid. He makes basically, there's like two, he brings in, he starts his starters and then he has his bench group and the bench plays for, you know, 10, 12 minutes. And then he brings the starters back in. And that's how he coaches each half. It's almost like automatic. That's what he does. And so what that does though, is that it limits the variation you can get in terms of lineups, staggering, um, and, and just like getting different groups minutes together. Um, you know, like there's a reason why for the season, like I think just yesterday or the game before that, quickly had finally played more minutes overall with RJ Barrett than Kemba Walker. And this is like two games ago that that finally happened. And that's insane because Kemba has only played 37 games. I think he only played 30 with RJ. And that just shows you how rigid his rotations are because he plays his starters together forever. And those that he just sticks with those groups. And because of that, it limits the time that you get to see different combinations and lineups and variations. And that's a really big issue. And that 
is part of the reason why we haven't seen much of Deuce and why it's incredibly frustrating that we won't start quickly. Because if he started quickly, then at least, you know, you would get more minutes of, you know, RJ and quickly together. But not just that, but like, you know, as you mentioned, like, yeah, maybe then Deuce. Well, especially Obi is the biggest one, I think. Of course. Yeah, yeah. The Obi stuff is. Because one player pushes the ball in transition, the other one doesn't. And Obi's green transition. And I think it's funny because a lot of the people who hate IQ are like, well, he doesn't find Obi when he has a seal. And it's like, of the Knicks point guards, you can argue that it's, you know, um, that none of them are good and IQ is just the best, but he has been the best at finding IQ, at Obi, you know? Yeah, and, and the other part of it, too, is like, like, it's, it, it it serves no purpose to not start these guys when if even if your goal if your goal is to win basketball games, which is what Tibbs's goal is, you know I don't care. People can pretend that he's like some development guru, like that that he's like you know no, trying to but I think he knows how to fuck it up. Is that for to agree on? He knows how to not fuck up development. He won't fuck up anyone. I agree right. with that. What I'm saying though is like this idea yeah. that he's like protecting the young guys and trying to put them no, in like the most but that, optimal that's, position sorry, is sorry, nonsense. I, I don't want to interrupt you, but like that's the most hilarious fucking part to me of like we can talk about this divide or whatever that's happening in Nick's Twitter, but it's like when the people who defend Tibbs are A, like, well, he's not going to play the kids. He wants to win games. But then they're also like, he's not going to play the kids because he doesn't want to hurt their development. Even if they're the better player, I was like, "Which one is it?" If he wants to make the playoffs, but the kids are better, he should play the kids. But you're saying he won't play the kids because they're not good enough to make a playoff spot. But you're also saying he won't play the kids because um, he won't play the kids. He won't play the kids because even if they're better, they're not. They they might get hurt. You know. By the way, which is. I think the people that said that, like, it's not, like, look, if quickly gets blitzed on a pick and roll, the worst thing that's going to happen is a, it's a turnover, right? He's not going to get concussions from it. It's not David Carr, right? Um, but that's what these people think. It's hilarious. And it's like, come on, dude. Like, I don't know. Well, I mean, yesterday, like, the, the Cavs game was ridiculous to watch because, I mean, the game, the starters effectively lost the game, right? Like they got blown out, right? So, so Burks played uh, twenty-eight minutes against Cleveland. In his twenty-eight minutes, he was a minus thirteen. Fournier played twenty-seven minutes, minus twenty-three. RJ was minus twenty-three in thirty-four minutes. You know, do the Knicks win that game if quickly starts and plays with you know? take out four, maybe bring Fournier off the bench. And I don't know. I don't know if they win the game. But the point is you're not even giving yourself the best possible chance to win the game by not starting him. And we have an entire year's worth of evidence of this at this point. And this is not a case of like, well, the starters are good, but they but the bench is just better. No, no, the starters aren't good. Like that lineup is not good. And it, yes, they have their moments. Like the Charlotte game was awesome. You know, um, the, the Miami game, again, starters were terrible in that. But I, there are moments, of course, where they, that group looks okay. 
But we have an entire year's worth of data that demonstrates that it's not. It's not a good group. And that for whatever reason, whether you think he's a point guard or a combo guard or a power forward or whatever the hell you think quickly is, when he's on the floor, the Knicks play better. They play better in almost every single alignment, in almost every single lineup, in almost every single one of his... But they're only going to bench players with him, right? What's up? They're only going to bench players with him. Yes, exactly. No, but like it's just I just don't understand. Well, it. I mean, it's, what would your rebuttal be to that? Because I'm I mean, too lazy to make true. it because I don't want to. But yeah, go for it's it. It's just not true, right? Like he closes games all the time. So unless I'm supposed to believe that teams are randomly playing their bench guys at the end of games, it doesn't make sense. And yesterday was I mean, it was just ridiculous. Like the by the time they came back in, uh by the time quickly came back in, I think it was like a sixteen point game. And it's like the other part that's ridiculous about this is then like he like you always he always has to come in in these situations where like the team needs to make a run to get back in the game or to close the gap or whatever. And then if he struggles, then it's always used as like a see that's why Tibbs doesn't start him. Oh, that's why Tibbs. That's why you can't start. It's like, but the the starters are allowed to do this constantly. I mean, we've seen this all year, right? The Knicks starters have been atrocious, and it doesn't matter. They stay, they stay being the starters, and they get more minutes. And I mean, like, I just, it's not, it doesn't make any sense. It makes absolutely no sense for the, the best net rating player on the team to be averaging less minutes than Alec Burks. It just doesn't make any sense. And I like Burks, but, like, Burks is not, he's no, Alec he's an, Burks. If you played him off ball, he'd be worth the first, you know? Um, he'd be a way better version of Buddy Hield for half the cost, right? That's what he would be. Yeah, it's just I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't. I just can't. I, I, I was just so fed up yesterday. I, I couldn't deal with it anymore because the people, like the amount of times I have to hear about all these mythical reasons for why we can't start quickly and why. The you know Tibbs you know he deserves credit and it's been he's been terrible this year. I think I think Tibbs has done a bottom five job this year, and I don't think they should keep him. Not because I think he's an idiot or that he's fundamentally a bad coach. I think he has significant flaws that he is now demonstrating. He is not going to change. He's not going to change. This is how he coaches. And, and if he did change, would you even have enough of the essence of Tibbs to make it worthwhile? That's another part, right? So yeah, who knows? I, I just like if you forced Andy Reid to run a, you're going to run the ball 50 times a game. He wouldn't be Andy Reid anymore. You know, yeah, I think I mean, actually Tom Thibodeau and Andy Reid is a good comp. Um, but um, but anyway, I'll let you go. Well, I, I just I think you know the the frustrating part for me with Tibbs is like I actually do think he's. I mean, he, his track record in development speaks for itself. I think he's a really good development coach. But he doesn't seem to trust that part of it as much well, as I mean, he is should. Your, is your, like, it's not, for me at least, it's not about the development. Like, I don't think quickly, or McBride. Like, McBride is actually pissing me off now more because, like, the Knicks are up 23 in the fourth, and they give a couple, a couple baskets, and he was like, well, we got to bring Burks back in, which, A, does it help that much? And B, it's like, you know, let him let him play through it. But um, I don't think it hurts development, especially with the G League, right? No, I don't think I don't think it hurts development, but I do think it it creates 
issues for your team long term. It creates issues. I think you've talked about this. It creates issues for your front office, right? Because your front office wants to know, wants to have an accurate idea of where anyone is. Well, it's ridiculous. We're we're talking about, we're talking about uh, this entire year, we've had to fucking hear about how the Knicks need a point guard, desperately need a point guard. The front office failed to get a point guard. Can't blame Tibbs because we don't have a point guard. This is mostly from the laziest accounts, by the way, but go ahead. Sorry. But it's just like, maybe that's true. Okay. Maybe it is true that if quickly was handed the starting point guard position over a longer sample, we would see what his limitations are in that capacity. Maybe that's true. Okay. I can't dismiss that entirely out of hand, but because we have never done that, it is still, we don't have the answer. We don't know what the answer is because we refuse to try it. And it's not like we have, you know, it's like, for example, the, the Grizzlies this year, they've been awesome without Ja, right? They've, I think they're like 21 and two or something like that without Ja. But like, you're not frustrated that Tyus Jones isn't getting more minutes if you're a Grizzlies fan. Because John Morant is obviously a very, very And also, player. you're the second seed in the West. Like, right. winning but, but, cures but my, all ills. Right, but, my, but my point is that, like, you wouldn't be upset because it's not like you're not playing Tyus Jones to play a bad player, right? You're not, or a lineup that is bad. What the Knicks are doing is effectively what Tibbs has done is he's starting a worse player than quickly out of position at that, at, at point guard. And it creates this idea and a sentiment of like, well, this is a glaring hole with this team that we need to address. And the only way to fix it is to go outside of what we have, you know, and it's, it's ridiculous because we are, we just, we seen how it played out this year, right? The Knicks signed Kemba Walker in part because the idea was created that starting point guard was a huge issue for the Knicks, right? Because we started Alfred Payne all season last year and people defended it then. And it's easier to defend it when you're winning games. But the unintended potential consequence of that is that you sign a Kemba Walker. You take a shot in a Kemba Walker who clearly is cooked, whatever you want to say about him. Um, and potentially we never needed to do that. Maybe if we, maybe we could have just started quickly. And, that, and we could have allocated, and maybe then, because you don't have to spend $9 million on Kemba Walker, maybe instead of signing Evan Fournier for $18 million, you decide to pony up and pay $27 million for a better player. I'm not, I don't even know what the options are. I don't even remember free agency at this point. But like the point is, you could have allocated more money to other positions. And instead, because of how you've managed it, and because Tibbs has created this kind of idea that quickly can't play point guard, quickly can't start. Do you think he has? For sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't see how how that doesn't influence your thinking. I don't think because I, I think part of it is at least he's a he's a second year player. I think Tibbs I would be I would still be really mad, by the way. I wouldn't let Tibbs off the hook, but I would I wouldn't be surprised if Tibbs was like, well, he's in his second year as a point guard. Next year He'll be ready to be a starter, but only with training wheels. And then the year after, in his fourth year, like I think it's more about an age thing than quickly as an a point guard. But, th- but that's stupid. Like I'm sorry, it's just fucking stupid. Thanks. When, that's when very nice of you to say. It's it's it is like I'm not saying it, it's just stupid when your options are Burks or Alfred that's, Payton. Last that's true. Year. But what we're talking about, I'm talking about Tibli- Tibli's. <laughs> Tibbs. Tibbs's. 
faith or opinion of quickly, right? Obviously, the the decision to start Burks over quickly at all is is ridiculous. The decision to give Burks minutes over Deuce McBride. And by the way, I have a rant on this because I think people still think Deuce McBride is this like Frank Nilakina clone that's six two, and he's like, no, he's a like. I hope you watch this game today because he like the way he can get a shot off and his passing ability and his handle and his quickness. Like, no, he's not Frank Nilakina. I'm sorry. Like, he might not be a great player, but he's good, and he doesn't deserve to be shafted and like be the scapegoat when Todd Gibson takes. 10,000 fucking uncontested jumpers, but guess what? Tibbs only hates players under 25. Um, but but my un- original point was um, you know, um, I don't think it, it reflects necessarily on how Tibbs feels about quickly. I just think he kind of has hard and fast rules for how he deals with young players, which is not necessarily a good thing. I'm not saying that is, but that's different from Tibbs hating quickly. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I don't think he hates quickly. I think he likes quickly a lot. I mean, I think that's. Really I think he could see quickly as the starting point guard of the Knicks someday. I just don't. I think he has his own timelines for things that might not be rooted in reality. That's all I'm saying. That's yeah, still I, annoying but, to me, but you know. But, but, but I mean that that's but that's the reality. Like that's that that's why it doesn't make any sense because there's no like what are we waiting for? You know, this is. The season, like the, the Knicks are out of the play. They, they they cannot make the playoffs. They can't even make the play-in. Okay, so that's done, right? Kemba has been clearly Tibbs evaluated Kemba and decided he sucked, right? So he's he's been out of the equation. Derrick Rose, which is something we all did, right? In fairness, yeah. And I I supported Tibbs when he benched him the first time. I was actually more pissed that he ever brought him back and stuck with that lineup as long as he did. But whatever. Kemba's been out for God knows how long now at this point, right? He hasn't played since All-Star break. Uh, Derek Rose has been hurt since end of December, I believe. So he hasn't played for three-plus months now. And in this time, rather than ever attempt to start Emmanuel quickly, we have punted on that opportunity to start Alec Burks at point and done insane shit like play him entire quarters and play him 41 minutes. And... It, it's just insane. Like, I don't care what his logic is at a certain point when he's actively choosing to start Alec Burks at point guard in the year 2022. That's just terrible decision-making. That's a terrible choice by Tibbs. And it doesn't require... I, I don't respect it. I think it's fucking stupid. And I think people that support that decision and want to tell us that, you know... Like, I like Tibbs. I think he's like a... I, there's... He's clearly still, to me, uh, got pretty – his schemes defensively work. I think he's obviously established a foundation in New York that, you know, I know it sucks right now. This year has sucked. But, like, you know, the Knicks are basically about a 500 team over his two years in charge, if you combine the record. That's a that's a gigantic leap from where they were before he got here. And is that all because of him? No. I think the front office obviously deserves credit. The players themselves deserve credit. But what he does, his actual tactical scheme defensively and stuff like that, I think he's it, it works. And I think that he's good at coaching defense. I think he's good at coaching guys up on defense. Um, so he's not like a bad coach. He's not an idiot. But he has such strong limitations in how he views things and how he operates that at a certain point, it just no longer becomes – 
his value is outweighed by what he's costing you. And this year to me has been a really huge missed opportunity for the Knicks because because of the Kemba, Kemba sucking and because of Derrick Rose's injury, we had an opportunity to really prioritize getting quickly on the floor as a 22-year-old player, a second-year guard alongside R.J. Barrett, a third-year player who we are hoping can be a star, and Julius Randle, who whatever we think about him and whether we want him here or not, he was the proverbial franchise player coming into this season. And rather than... But he couldn't handle the pressure. I mean, handle the pressure. <laughs> wow, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a good dad joke. Um, but like, instead of trying to... Instead of viewing this as an opportunity and a chance to, you know, really... Instead of viewing this as an opportunity... Sorry, that's the last one. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm well, sorry. Um, that was terrible. Um, instead of like, viewing it, because... Patrick Ewing was a famous player for the Knicks in the 1990s. He was center, seven foot tall out of Georgetown. Anyway, you can Wikipedia the rest. I can hear you typing to Wikipedia the rest. So. Yes, exactly. No, I just, it's just, I, I, I think that's a huge missed opportunity. And I think it sucks that we didn't take advantage of it and that people talked themselves into it being a defensible and even logical decision. And no, I'm sorry. Like the amount of times I have to hear people, well, well, maybe Tibbs deserves credit for how quickly he's developed, and maybe he nailed exactly what he was supposed to do, and blah blah. Do you re- like? I, that, I think that's a complete bullshit. I think he's actually. I, I I don't think he's set him back, but I do think that he's cost us in terms of time. Um, like, who's to say that quickly wouldn't have come out of his slump sooner? If he hadn't played more minutes. And and here's the other thing too, is people are acting like quickly was terrible the entire season. And that's just not true. Like he was, yes, he, his shooting struggles are, have been well documented, but throughout the season, the team has played much better when he's on the floor than when he's not. And that, that wasn't the case at the start of the season. Well, it's not just that. It's also the fact that if you look at how his shooting percentages declined, his pull-up shooting was basically the same. He didn't take a whole lot more. The difference was he shot 46% on catch-and-shoot threes, which maybe in itself, I mean, 46% is a lot, even if you're Joe Harris or Steph Curry. So, fine. But he went from that to 31%, which is like, um, you know, I mean, it, it depends if you believe he wasn't that good to begin with or if you think he's a shooter. And if you looked at his, I mean, Derek Reifer has posted about this, but his expected shooting percentage has always been around 37% because he was just missing wide open threes, which I guess paradoxically enough is, is accounted for in the, um, you know, in those kind of models where, you know, he just, he had a bad luck of, of shooting missed threes, but he wasn't, it wasn't his role. Like, I think that the thing that pissed me off more than what you're talking about is people were like, well, he's asked to be a point guard and he doesn't know how to. And I'm like, no, he's just missing open shots. Like, actually, when it comes to point guarding, right, he's the best on the team. He's the only one that pushes the ball up the floor. Like, Burks, Burks has been really good. And actually, the fact that Burks can play point guard in a pinch against bench lineups should not be discarded. And maybe maybe that was part of Tibbs' motivation. But um, in terms of, like, Burks will jog the ball up the floor. That's just what he does. Quickly doesn't. Uh, he'll throw outlets. He'll get it. Like he realizes the value of pace. So, 
Um, you know, those are the kinds of things that, that make the big difference. And he has those, so. Yeah, I, I just, it's, it's a very, it's, it's been a really frustrating season. Um, and I think, you know, even now, even when the season is over and you're not qualifying for the playoffs, even then, Tibbs cannot just let go. He cannot just coach in a way that is not infuriating. Um, you know, like he he still can't just trust kids in games that are effectively meaningless. And I know that like there is logic to making guys earn their minutes, and I'm okay with that. But like, but he's doing this- the opposite. Like, how is he bench Randall? But how is Grimes not earning his minutes? How is McBride not earning his minutes? Like, is it about effort? That's the biggest question. Because, like, the guys well, that are sitting behind aren't showing that much effort. And and it hasn't made sense all year. I mean, you can if you want to just boil it down to a very simple thing, yes, I understand that Randall, given his contract, given the play, he his level of play last season, um, Tibbs is going to have trust in him that isn't – like – if, if Randall struggles, he's not just going to immediately cut his minutes, right? And I understand that. That's a, I, I get why that would be the case. The problem is, throughout the season, Obi Toppin's effort, his energy, his willingness to just get dirty and fly around and, and play within a team concept and all these things have far exceeded Julius Randall's. Does that mean Obi Toppin's a better player than Julius? No, that's not what that means. But... But when you are preaching accountability and guys have to earn their minutes, in what world has Obi not like? Wh- yeah, and then how- and then if you want to say that, well, okay, it's not just about earning; it's about how good you are. That's fine, but then don't don't give me this crap because, and that's not even the most egregious example. Um, I think IQ has been better on both ends than Burks. Um, I think. Grimes and Fournier is tough because Fournier really is an elite shooter. Like Fournier is like a 97, 98th percentile shooter. So I kind of get that. I something tells me Tibbs wasn't thinking about that. But what is is it like when you when your excuse is well, you have to watch how they practice, like really? Grimes doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would mail it in and practice. Neither does IQ. I do want to ask you about Obi and Julius. What do you think Julius brings right now that Obi doesn't? Uh, I mean, I think just <laughs> this is not necessarily a good thing, um, but I just think he's in terms of broken play. Nothing's created. Need to get a shot up. Julius, he's got more shot creation um, to him than Obi, and maybe some of that is just Obi is like not comfortable calling his own number yet, which I think you can see a little bit. And and I, he actually did have some nice uh, individual. Uh, shot creation moments today against Orlando. But like in general, I think that there's something more dynamic uh, in that very specific element uh, that Julius has, which Obi doesn't. But the downside is that Julius leans on that way too often and he makes his shot diet is tough. He doesn't have great shot selection. He takes a lot of bad shots. He breaks the offense to take a lot of these bad shots, right? He doesn't just get his offense in the flow. And I think what you see with Obi is he's a player who, because of how he processes the game and how he plays, 
he helps create flow within the Knicks' offensive system. And when you're starting Alec Burks at point with Fournier, uh, having a guy that 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 does that is really valuable. Um, and you know, I, I just I think Obi's play style fits very easily with RJ Barrett and playing off of that. And I think with Julius, what you see is it's a lot more like you have to work around Julius, right? Obi will figure out how to work around other guys. And that is probably something the Knicks really need to consider moving forward because is Randall good enough to justify building around him and having, you know, requiring that other guys fit in around him? Last year, he definitely was, obviously. But this year, he def- he's been awful. Right? He, he definitely hasn't. And let's be completely honest about Julius. Two out of his three years in New York, we've had major issues with him. You know, his first year in New York, yeah, I know. I, I've, I've defended it before, too, because I think Fizdale really fucked up the initial impression of him and a lot of other players on the team. But even overall, it obviously wasn't a great season. There's a reason why most of us wanted to dump him before the 2021 season, right? Before he went on that magical season where he made All-NBA and All-Star and all this stuff. But two out of the three seasons he's been in New York have been failures for him. They've been disappointing, to say the least. Yeah, but and, the one out of three was an outlier success. I would call that that by the... I'm, I'm not arguing against your larger point. I'm just saying that's worth addressing. So sorry. That it's... That, that last year was an outlier? No, that last year was so good that it should... It, I mean, I think that's what a lot of people think, that it's like last year was so good that it should outweigh, you know, the other two seasons. Yeah, I... It's just tough. It's tough, though, because... What do you really think about Julius in the sense of is he – what's more likely that he becomes some 85% of the player he was last year or that he's just the guy we've seen two out of three seasons in New York that plays the blinders on too often, that makes bad decisions, that takes bad shots, that doesn't space the floor effectively. Can I give that- a comp for him for who I think his best role is? Sure. What if Andre Drummond and Jeff Green had a baby? Is that a is that a bad comp, a good comp? I don't know. But that's what's in my mind. Um I have no idea <laughs> what to do with that. Uh I just I'm saying can I can I elaborate? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Andre Drummond is a good rebounding six man off the bench who can score on mismatches. That isn't like the kind of post guy you'd put against Joel Embiid. Jeff Green is a good ISO scorer with some mobility, um, but he's mostly a scorer. I think like he's he's got a he's got the perimeter game where he's not quite Jeff Green in terms of perimeter game, and he's got the interior game where he's not quite Andre Drummond. But if you combine the two, like, but I think he's a six man, you know. But uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I I. I agree. I think he might be uh, a six fan, a six man. But like, so then why? But will he buy into that? And does it even make sense for the Knicks to, you know, is that something he's going to buy into in New York? I I'm very skeptical of it. 
no, uh, no it, it's not gonna happen in New York. But I, I do think like there's people that think his career gonna be over, and I'm like, no, oh, obviously not. No, he'll no he'll shot. find out. He'll 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 have he'll find success somewhere. It's just not gonna be here. Yeah, I just I I've seen enough this year. I I don't think Julius is some god awful player. I don't think he's useless. I do think that, like Tibbs, I think the team is just in a position where it doesn't really make sense to retain him. Um, would they take a step back next year if they trade Randall and Obi starts? And I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I would say yes. Yeah, maybe they do. But you know what? I don't. Is really there something know. that makes you say maybe instead of yes? I know that's nitpicking, but and I'm not going to clown you on it. I just. What is your reason for optimism there? Is it Obi related completely? I mean, I think Julius has been terrible this year. So, do you I don't, think he's? Do you, would you say he's been a net negative? I think he's been. I, I've said all year, or not all year, but I've said very much that him and Tibbs are the two biggest reasons this team. Yeah, of course, but that is that relative to just expectations? Because saying they underachieved relative to expectations is different relative to saying they underachieved relative to average replacement. So saying Randall has been a huge disappointment is different than saying if I mean Rand- what's he done what's he done well this year? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying would Obi have done better? And I'm by the way, I think there's a good argument Obi would have. And I think there's a much better argument that given the rest of the personnel, Obi would be better for that, even if it doesn't show up next year. But I'm curious under your thoughts on that whole thing. Because that's yeah, I, a I, story than like they underachieved relative to expectations, right? This is yeah, no, I, did, were they bad period. So yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think so. Like I, I think that there's a very good argument that purely because of how Obi plays and how well he's played this year, um, that we would have been better off if this season at least, if Obi just took Julius's minutes. Um and the, All here. Yeah, I think there's a really good argument for it. I mean, I I don't know what Julius does, has done this year better than Obi. I, I really don't. I mean, what has he done better? Shoot the three a little bit better? He's uh, probably finished better, but that's that's a, I, I, I would agree with your larger point, yeah. So it's just, I don't know. And, I, and I, that's what I think. Like, I think if you told me they moved Julius for a ham sandwich, they don't really get anything back. And Obi starts like, is that team fundamentally worse than this current Knicks team? I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I actually feel like that there's a decent chance this team would surprise a lot of people next year in that scenario. Because I do think that people are sleeping on how good Obi Toppin is. I think people are sleeping on how dependent. Sorry, and I, I know I'm interrupting you a lot. How dependent is the the phrase Obi Toppin is this good depending on his point guard. I think we're finding out that it's not super dependent. I mean, it obviously helps to have a point guard that's setting him up, but like he's been playing a lion's share of his minutes with Julius out with Burks and Fournier who are not uh, exactly. Has he, is it, uh, would I call that a lion's share? I feel like he's been getting, so he has, maybe it might be the lion's share, but I also think he's been getting a lot more minutes with, Quickly, because I think part of it is also like quickly is the best. So this is maybe a lot of people would consider this conspiracy theory, but I think quickly is the best point guard in the team. I think him and Obi are great together. 
And I think while he has the out of the share of his total minutes, he's getting more with Fournier and Burks, but he is also getting more of a, a, a raw total of minutes with quickly, which I think has helped. Do you think that's not a thing or um, just, I think it's just an interesting conversation to have. Like maybe quickly isn't as good with OB. I know Rose is great with OB. I know that most of the starting point guards are not very good with OB. Quickly, I think, can be a mixed bag. I know there's some people on Twitter that are like, well, Quickly doesn't find him. I personally think he's really good at finding Quickly in fast breaks, but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that, too. Yeah, I I think that Quickly's fine. I think Quickly does a good job of finding OB. I think they work well together. But do you think it's like a 1 plus 1 equals 3 situation, or do you think they're just like, you know, solid players? Uh, I mean... I think I think they add a lot to this team, man. Like that that's really what my optimism is based on. Like I think both of those guys in more minutes with another year off after another off season of having a chance to add to their games. Um and then you talk about RJ, if he makes another leap, which I would expect him to make another leap. Um like I just think that there's a chance the team isn't really fundamentally worse off without Julius. And that again, that's not to say like I want to make it very clear that whatever my issues with Julius, that's not me saying that Julius is just a bad player regardless of context or anything. Yeah, but it's not linear, right? Like, Yeah, it's yeah. it's more the idea that I think these young guys that we've drafted have a chance to make significant progress next year. And it's it's really more have about having faith in them. And I have faith in them because what I've seen over two years is, at least when it comes to the quickly and Obi. I see two guys that have consistently improved their games. It's not it's not been a straightforward, you know, it's not like they're just constantly improving without any blips, but when you look at their ups and downs, overall they always seem to end up on a higher level. You know, Obi, you look at him last year. He struggled for a lot of the season, but by the last month or two of the season, he was really good, I thought. I thought he looked like a really solid NBA player. And then in the playoffs, he was arguably the team's best player in that in for a very brief playoff appearance. But he was really good in that series. You know, one of the few that guys that could say that. And he's been really good again this year. I mean, he's clearly leveled up from day one. We all said this, like, wow, he looks like a way better player. You know, and you see him having the confidence to grab, get, grab a rebound and push the ball up the floor himself or take guys off the bounce, fake a DHO and go to the rim. He's just a more confident player. And I mean, quickly, I think... Yes, he shot the ball a bit better last year, was more efficient as a scorer, but his overall game right now is so much better than it was last year. And that's just with one offseason of development uh, and working with Johnny Bryant and stuff. Like, I really think people are sleeping on what the upside of these young guys are. And like, RJ has gotten a lot of praise and deservedly so. Uh, I tweeted this out. Look, I thought, I just want to make this clear. I tweeted out that RJ Barrett had an unacceptable performance yesterday for somebody who is likely to be asking for a max contract uh, this offseason. Wait, do you hate RJ? Dude, you're a fucking <laughs> asshole, man. Fuck you. Why don't you go fucking do a podcast with uh, with Berman or some shit? Know, you right? said you hated. That is what your tweet said. You hate RJ Barrett. You think we should trade him, cut him, send him to fucking Vladimir Putin's China team. So fuck you, Schwinn. <laughs> no, but it's like it's like people were like, "How can you say that?" Like he's he he's been one one game shouldn't change your opinion. And I was like, "Dude, like I don't this isn't changing my opinion. I still think that like 
it's likely we do give him a max contract this offseason. Um, I, I will. I, I want to be very clear. People are painting the RJ and RJ Max as a no-brainer, gotta do it. And I would be comfortable betting on him and just ultimately, like, if I needed to go there to, to get him to sign the extension, I would do it. But it's not but a like, good deal. Yeah, it's it, it's a bet. I mean, you have to, he has yeah. to improve, obviously. And so, like, I just think we should talk about this in a little bit more nuanced way where it's like... <laughs> Guys, can we talk about this, please? Yeah, right. Are we going to do three pounds of Coke together? You know, like... <laughs> I don't know, are we? Um, but, like, it, it's just, I, I think, like, I would get to that place, but I also understand why there are people that don't think he's worth the max contract. And they're not wrong in the sense of, like, if he stagnates and he doesn't grow from what he is doing this year, what he's done this year, then it won't be a good, it, it, he won't be worth that contract. But you're betting that he will. And, you know, I just think, like, his progression, Quickly, Obi, like I have a lot of faith in those three guys. I think, but it's it, but beyond that, right? Like, I mean, there, how much certainty can you have, right? Like, I think most people think of players like John Morant or you know, um, you know, Luka Doncic, right? Who are just like no brainer. Yeah, he's already a max player. On the other hand, they think of players that are you know not that. RJ is in the middle, and like you know. I think it's just like a tough, like, that's not a knock on his game. It's just a tough situation to navigate because, like, I can see a, a, a situation where he becomes an all-star, you know, Jalen Brown type player. I can see a situation be, where he becomes Harrison Barnes. You know, if you want to rip me for that, fine. I think Harrison Barnes is a bad player. He, he makes $20 million a year now. My point is, there's just, it's such a high-varying situation. How do you navigate that? Yeah. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. You cust- new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the college hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like, who will make it to the next round? And who will hit the most three-pointers? Then track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Now use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any college troops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook 21+. plus. Restrictions apply. See show notes for details. If you or someone else you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. That's for Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming. 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's for Arizona, 1-800-522-4700. For Colorado and New Hampshire, 888-789-7777. Visit HTTPCCPG.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-BETS-OFF. That's for Iowa. 1-877-770-STOP. And, or text 7867. Or sorry, that's 7867. Uh, for <laughs> Louisiana, 877-8-HOPE-NY. Or text HOPE-NY 467-369-New York. 
Visit opgr.org for Oregon. Call text TN, call or text TN Redline 1 800 889 9789 Tennessee or 1 888 532 3500 for Vermont. 21 plus 18 or over in New Hampshire or Wyoming. Must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, New Hampshire, New Jersey. New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Vermont, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See HTTP DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Yeah, look, I think it's tough. Um, you have to make some tough choices, you know, with this roster because you have this group of young guys and you have Julius who is not old, but he's not, I don't think you would consider him young. Uh, he's what, 27 now? So like he's in his prime years and you have him. And then you have obviously these older vets, right? Burks, Fournier, Todd, Rose, whatever. What, what exactly are we trying to do here? Because to me, I think like you either need to make a move to try to get more out of Julius and, and try to win now, or I think you have to move Julius and really trust in these young guys that you've selected and drafted and developed. And to me, the Knicks are in a position where they should choose the latter. I think leaning into these young guys and betting on them versus trying to get more out of Julius and build around him is the right move. I I flat out think that. And I think there's a chance that you might be better next year, but I'm 100% confident that your best chance of actually building out into a contending level roster involves moving on from Julius and leaning into these young guys more. I I do because I, I just, I have seen now enough of Julius where I fundamentally do not believe that there's a clear or obvious path to building a contending roster with him on it in New York. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to buy into this becoming RJ's team or, uh, you know, playing more as like a, a... Let me ask you, sorry, let me ask you this. If he had the perfect attitude, if you could craft his attitude from scratch, would you be more confident of that? Like, I'm yes. just taking an extreme and then let's let's work to the middle, right? So is it mostly his attitude? Is it mostly a skill set? Because for, for me, it's actually a skill set. But I'd be curious if you think it is really more, more his attitude. To me, it's more his attitude. I, I just have no idea. I can't trust him. He's so volatile. And he's he's just been a terrible leader this year, which, like, look, not everybody needs to be a great leader. But what he has done this year has been so disappointing at almost every level. He hasn't taken any ownership of his own failed performances this year. I mean, look at the quotes that he's given. He has never once said, I've got to play better. I've got to be better. I need to... I, I, I'm not doing enough. I haven't delivered. He's never said anything along those lines. You know, I've talked about this before, but like every time he's been asked about his shooting struggles, he always turns it into a collective thing. Oh yeah. You know, we got to do a better job of sharing the ball and stuff like that, you know? And it's, I, I just think that's bullshit. I, I really do. And then, you know, then you compare, then you combine it with all the stuff we've seen from him defensively, where he's just not giving a shit not making rotations, you know, kind of just standing there with his hands out, like as if it's somebody else's fault when he misses a rotation. He, but here's the, here's the thing, right? If he was still shooting 30% from three, 
whatever he's shooting from mid-range. And he had these awful offensive numbers, but he was trying on defense. Would you still have the same opinion? Um, maybe. I'm not sure. I think I would. That's the, that's what kind of I'm like. For me, it's like he had one. Like people are like, well, you, you know, he's a guy who can shoot the three. Like he he had one year. Even his best the the year that told people maybe he can shoot was the year before we signed him, right? That was his best shooting year before we signed him. He was 34% from three on like four attempts per game in New Orleans. And people were like, well, he's 26, 25. And then he did what he did last year, and that's untouchable. I'm not going to – and like his form is good. But every – there's seven or – out of and like if it's just the fact that this wasn't the anomaly, like maybe I, I'd be willing to feel stupid, but you can't shoot. Um, you're best used as a role man who is mostly good at getting to the rim and you don't, you're very, you're negative on defense at the four. Like, and people have conflicting opinions on this. I think, I think the bigger you get, the more important your role is on defense. Is that fair to say to you, by the way? Like, this is a bit of an aside, a tangent. Sorry, go. So what was the question? Do you think the bigger you are, or the, the, the higher position you play on defense, point guard, shooting guard, wing. I think my opinion is the bigger you are, or like if you're like a four's defense is more important than even a wing's. A wing's defense is more important than a point guard's, and obviously a center's defense is the most important of all. And like he is not just, he's been a negative this year. Last year, I think I would have generously given him a positive, but probably a neutral. Like, he hasn't been more than a neutral, and he's, like, the the bigger you are, the more important you are in defense. And he, he's never been more than a neutral. That's, like, a like how can you – like, how many players are net positives? You're talking about, like, John Collins at that point. Like, players that are net positives and, and that even, are bigs that aren't good at defense. And even Collins has improved a lot on defense, I would say. Yeah, and he's younger. Yeah, and he's a he's a forty percent three point shooter. Like that makes a lot of that easier to swallow. And he's not like if Julius could shoot a lot of this, and that's to me like on the one hand I'm like Julius deserves all the flack he gets for his lack of effort, and the fact that his response is to just be pissy about it is more discouraging. But I get it. Like I'm not gonna. I'm I'm older than him. I was you know like. I get not, you know, if you're at your job and like you're, you know, you feel like you're trying and people don't think you are. I get that. But if you can't shoot and that's your game, it's just really, really hard to see you being worth $25 million a year. Yeah. And I mean, I just, I also like. And that's, by the way, even if we did get Donovan Mitchell. You know, that's still, that. that's, that's. Well, I don't know why anyone would want to pair Donovan Mitchell with Julius Randle. That's kind of like my other. That That's that's a side. My point is like, the theory would be if you wanted to keep Julius Randle, you pair him with a star guard. Um, as much as I'm high on quickly, I think that is still one to two years at the minimum in the making of like optimal growth, right? So the argument for keeping Julius Randle is that like one day we'll have some Someday all prints will come, right? <laughs> um, and one day we'll have this great, 
initiator who gets him easy looks. And it's like, even then, if he's a 34% three-point shooter, which is higher than this year, um, and by the way, it's not like he's been way better on catching shoots. Like, he's not taking, like, he's taking more pull-ups, but he's not taking a ton of pull-ups. Like, you just can't hit open threes, and I think he should. His form looks fine. But if you can't, and you're just, you're a role man, like, Draymond Green survived as a role man with no jump shot. I think Julius Randle is a better shooter than him. By being an elite defender and a better passer, by the way, he's a better passer than Julius Randle. And Julius isn't those things. It's just like it's tough to find what is like what is the value proposition there. He's like he's basically like his role. I'm not saying he would his game is similar to Andre Drummond's, but his role would be most more similar to Andre Drummond's, where he's like a six man big off the bench who can you play him with a stretch five or you play him as a small ball five next to like a good four on defense, but. That's it's just tough to to find that value. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree. And I mean, the, the other part of it too is like forgetting the actual basketball portion of it, like you know, all that. When you're talking about like him as a like, he's supposed to be a leader, right? And he loved you know gassing that up last year when shit was good, right? Like when shit was sweet, he loved to gas. Oh, you know, like uh, we got the Players Tribune article. We heard about how Tibbs is holding him accountable and he needed that and all this kind of shit. And this year wasn't so sweet. He didn't have his shot going. Fans got on him. His processing and decision-making was poor on the court. And in a moment where the season was flying off the rails, right? We had that 3-17 and stretch. He didn't exhibit any type of leadership at all. And I think it's embarrassing and downright pathetic that, you know, whatever you want to say about R.J. Barrett this year, and like, yes, he needs to score more efficiently, and I, the defense has fallen off significantly, but just in terms of carrying yourself in a way to lift the team, I think he deserves a lot of credit, like a ton of credit, because it would have been easy to just let go of the rope and mail it in the second half of the year, and... Um, let how Julius is let Julius's play impact kind of about? RJ. Okay, I have my own thoughts on thoughts on that. Um, yeah. But good, sorry. Yeah, I just I just think that he's stepped up, and I think you know obviously the season is a disappointment either way, and he's part of that too. To be fair, like he he hasn't been efficient. He had a terrible start to the season. All these things are true, um, but like in that moment where the season did fall off, I thought he stepped up and not just in terms of his performances, but simply being willing to go answer questions after a game, you know, uh, to, to own up to ish, like his shortcomings in post game press conferences. You know, he's talked about how his defense wasn't good at certain times um, or how he needs to be better and all these kind of things. Like, who knows what it all means, but from the outside looking in, uh, I feel like like the team responded to him kind of stepping into that void, and I think he's stepped up and understood that the team needed a leader to kind of rally around to a certain extent, and he he went for it, and you know that doesn't mean he's going to become a superstar. 
But like, I think it bodes well. And I just think more or less, like it reflects so poorly on Randall to me. Um, just how that entire thing has played out. And, you know, like I've, I feel like we've seen better leadership from RJ and quickly than we did from Julius this entire season. And what does that say? Like, what does that say about Julius Randall? Like, why different. should I have faith in that? Like, I sh- it's very hard to have faith in a player who you feel like completely, just completely fell off and really just didn't live up to any expectations of being the best player on the team, being the highest paid player on the team, being a franchise centerpiece. He didn't live up to any of that this year. He's been terrible the entire year. He's really been awful. Yeah, because and, you, you yeah. see those guys play defense. You know, that's that's a big thing. But freaking Julius Ray, Evan Fournier, right? Evan Fournier was much blind. How much – you can look on Twitter. Right? I would guarantee you there's more Twitter hate on Evan Fournier than there was on Julius Randle. And what did he do? He, you know, he made – he set the franchise record for threes made. He's making less than Buddy Heald. He made more threes than him. And, like, he's – if you look at his contract, it's not that bad. And, like, it's, like, even, like, and it's not just having for me. It's, it's Alec Burks. Alec Burks has played out of position. And me and you are both very much, it sucks, right? Because every time Alec Burks is in the game and he gets 40 minutes, I have to be like, why is Alec Burks getting 40 minutes? That doesn't mean I think he's a shitty player. I think he's a plus to this team. He is a value member of this team. And he, I don't know that he's a leader because he's just so quiet, right? Um, but it absolutely, it's like other players handle this and go about their business and figure out how to be valuable. And I don't know what Julius is going through off the floor. I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of true or false questions. Is that okay? Go for it. All right. In order to be a plus value at his contract, Julius Randle has to shoot 36% from three. True or false? Uh, false. Okay. What's the scenario in which he doesn't? Uh, I don't think he needs to shoot 36%. I feel like he could shoot 33, 34% and be a plus value. I think that if he just simply takes better shots, like has better shot selection and decision making, uh, you can get but around where his lack of shooting. So, sorry. You want to finish your thought? I'm sorry, I interrupted. Oh, no, I just, I, I just think that there's ways for him if he becomes more of a facilitating hub and more of a guy that's making quick decisions as soon as he gets the ball and keeps things moving along. Um, I, I don't think that he needs to shoot 36 percent from three to justify the contract he's on. Yeah, and, and so, and keeping that in mind, like a lot of the possessions in which he might slow it down or hand off a grenade are not taken into account in this. But it is worth noting that this year he has changed his shot distribution. It's shot distribution, right? So shot mm-hmm. selection or decision making. Shot selection is is part of that. But yeah, he's taking a lot more shots at the rim and from three. Yeah, so he's taking a lot more shots from the rim. A slightly more in the. Th- but he's taking last year he took sixteen percent of his shots from three and twenty nine percent from. Sorry, sixteen percent of his shots at the rim, twenty nine percent of his shots from three, which last year was incredible because like you're a six nine power guy and you're only taking 17% of your shots from three or 16% of shots from, from the rim. Uh, that's not great. But this year, um, 
he's gone up to 25% of his shots at the rim and 31% from three. So he's done those things. It's just he is he's not hitting the threes. And I think it's actually his his shooting at the rim. So last year he finished 66% at the rim. This year he is 63%. But that's like I would take that trade off any day of the week with the higher volume. It's just that um, you know, his three-point shooting has regressed, his mid-range shooting has regressed. It feels like that is that is almost the best you can hope for. And if he's not hitting threes at a high rate, it just seems like how do you make that equation work? Because for him, for a guy like that, who's like if you if you envision him as like this role guy who's mostly getting his offense assisted, if you can't make that equation work, I mean, does he have to take fifty percent of the shot at the rim? You know, that's that's the question. And then if he if he has to do that, that probably means he's not playing with another big, which means do you have to find like the ideal Jaron Jackson, Chet Holmgren, even big next to him, which makes it tougher and also adds into the value proposition. That's why where the thirty six percent from three comes from. Yeah, I mean, I I agree that without shooting a good percentage from three, it is tough to see how to construct a a very competitive lineup and roster around him. But I don't. I mean. It's not impossible, I guess is my best way to put it, which is why I wouldn't say that it's a false situation where if he doesn't shoot 36% from three, I don't think that means that he's not necessarily worth the contract. I think there are just ways to do it. I mean, the thing is, though, like I don't really have faith in him becoming a a quicker decision maker, facilitator, ball mover, all that kind of stuff. So that is very worrying for me. How... How much less do you think the onus is if he was in a role man situation, right, where he wasn't getting doubled? How much less is that quick decision? And that's really, I don't have an answer. I don't know if people a lot smarter than me have that answer. Um, I think I would count you as one of those. So I don't think it's in your opinion. But, um, you know, if he is in that just role man situation, does that ease that burden of making those quick decisions. It could, but if he's just doing, if he's just used as a role man, then that limits, I mean, so much of the reason why he was awesome last year has to do with the fact that he was this all-around kind of offensive juggernaut. Right, but I mean, if you look at Brandon Clark is like the one end of it, Graymond Green is the other end, right? Those guys, by being great decision makers makers on the role are great. But I think maybe not Draymond, but guys in that mold, if you ask them to play with Julius Randle, and I'm I'm making much of a devil's advocate argument here, but if you ask Draymond to like post up and find guys out of doubles, he might not be as great. Maybe he would. <laughs> like he's Draymond, mm-hmm. he's really smart player. Um how much would that alleviate it, you know? Sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Um, yeah, I, I just the the one thing with Draymond and even Brandon Clark is when they catch on the short roll, they have the ability to make all different types of passes. And I'm not just talking about like making the right read, but also being able to deliver a variety of different passes in terms of 
the touch and the feel of them. And Julius just throws lasers. He does not he does not have great touch on his passing. He just throws rockets at people. And I think that's part it it sounds kind of very nitpicky, but it is not part of an issue for him. Um and it limits the passes he can throw. Like he's not a good outside in passer, right? He, if you look at all of his assists, I if you look at all all of his assists this year or even last year, I would imagine a majority of them are when he puts the ball on the floor and then he gets into the paint and then he can spray out to shooters. It is very rare that you will see him throw a nice pass out from the perimeter in inside to somebody. Uh, you know, a lob or anything like that. I mean, his lob passing is terrible. And it's frustrating because it, if he could just throw some of those kind of lob passes and touch passes, it would open up so much. You can for overthrow him. those, right? Yeah. Obi, I think, like, and, and it's like, it's funny because if you just look at the raw stats, Julius is a much higher volume assist player than Obi. But if you ask me who's a better passer, I think it's Obi by a lot. Well, like, I, I had someone. It was Ewing, I forget the initials, but I said that I had a, a trolling tweet of Giants fans where I was like, quickly would not only be the best passer on the Knicks, but he'd be the best passer on the Giants. Someone said Obi would be the best passer on the Knicks. And yeah, like, you know, that's not a crazy opinion, you know? Yeah, I think I think Obi might be. Uh, I tend to think quickly is probably the best passer on the team. But I mean, I would say Rose still, but yeah, like of everyone's healthy for sure. Quickly, I think is mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. It's like, uh, but Obi is a really skilled passer, and he's definitely to me our best big man passer by a lot. Not that the competition is exactly uh, that that stiff with Mitch and Noel. Well, I, I think it's, but it's worth mentioning because, as you say, Randall has all these gaudy assist numbers. He had the near two to one assist to turnover ratio despite high usage last year, that's what a lot of people would use, right? But you're I, I think that I would agree with you that there's certain there's certain passes you just like how often do you see him throw a lob to low, to to Mitch or to a big, you know? It's it's usually, you know, finding a shooter after he's already in the air. Yeah. And and, and I, I forgot who tweeted it out. I think or no, uh, I think Macri had it in his newsletter on Friday, but like I think Julius had two assists or something, or thrown two passes or something like that to Mitch post All-Star break. It was something insane. And it's like do I think that all of his lack of decision making and passing is because he's selfish? Or I, I actually wish I could say that. Because then it would be it, it's less concerning in a way because it's not about how he's able it to read the game. Fixable. Yeah. Yeah. And and I actually watch him now and I'm like, I think he maybe just can't read the game well. I really, and like that I think that Atlanta series just like actually blew his brain in or something. Like I, he's just never looked the same since that series. But do you think do you think it had a corrosive effect on kind of his readability? I think so. Yeah. I, I think it's hard not to think that, right? Just watching him this year. So you think that a lot of this year, I'm not disagreeing, but you think that this year part of it was lingering effects, maybe like a quarterback, let's say, who just face up crazy defense and threw three picks and got sacked a few times and just like is shell shocked from it? Um, 
Yeah, in a way I do. I mean, like, I think his energy has just been weird all year, and that part of it is from that Hawk series and how people talked about him after. Because if you remember the first game of the season against Boston, he was screaming around. He Like, he played really well that game. But he was, like, screaming during the game about, you know, for people to respect him and shit. And it's like, it's not, it, it just came across to me as, like, somebody who's very much aware of, like, the criticisms about his play in that Atlanta series and whether he's just a, is he a one-shot wonder? Is he an empty gym merchant and all this kind of stuff? And I think he let, let that noise affect him a lot. Um it's hard not to think that just watching them. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's very interesting. I, I, again, with Julius, like, I don't even know what to do with him. I, I really don't. I, I think we should trade him, but I also, I have no idea what to feel like we should want back in a trade. Because for me, if I can like break up his contract and get back expiring money, and maybe a pick or a young a couple young guys or something like that i i would do it um but i don't know who wants to make a trade like that i really don't and i it's tough because as you mentioned previously he's not like an easy fit everywhere he's somebody who is context dependent and how many teams have the type of center that would allow him to be the best version of himself i mean interestingly enough i think washington is one with Kristaps, but you know, are they going to make a trade? I have no idea. I really don't. So uh, it's just, it's really tough to answer all this stuff with, with him. Um, but I, I do, I, I, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, uh, go ahead. Did you wanna... I was going to name another team uh, that has been rumored a lot and has at least one player, I think the Knicks might target, and that's the Indiana Pacers. Um so whether Miles Turner is a stretch five or not is very much, especially with, among the Knicks fans base, um, up to debate. But you do have Buddy Heald, who is a little bit, who has, I think, I believe, one less year in his contract, or maybe two. Um, you know, with a slightly lower salary, um, and you know they have a ton of guards. Um, they have you know a connecting point guard, as well as. Um, you know, they have a connecting point guard in Tyrese Halliburton. They have um, Miles Turner, who's a stretch five. Um, I mean, would you would you trade a one for one with like a maybe Indy attaches a second for Buddy Hield? Uh, we already have a version of Buddy Hield in Evan Fournier. I don't think that's a crazy claim. Buddy Hield's defense isn't that much better, and they're pretty similar in terms of three point shooting. Um, I wouldn't do it. I really don't like Buddy Hield. I think he's like the definition of a losing. So you're, not, you're also not trying to just get off Randall's contract. I, I mean, I want to get off Randall's contract, but like Buddy Hield to me is a player who isn't the type of vet I would want to to take back for Randall. I have a lot of issues with Buddy Hield's attitude and performances and all that kind of stuff. Um, his attitude in question. Oh, sorry. I mean, he's his defense and all that kind of shit is not inspiring, and I consider that part of attitude. And he's also a chuck, um, which is fine, but he's not actually shot the ball as well as he has in the past, so that's concerning. Uh, he's also older, right? He's like twenty nine, I think, right now. So yeah, it'd be like getting another Fournier, or do you think he's even worse than Fournier? I 
I would say they're similar levels of player, probably. So you're, you're trading Randall for basically another four years at that point, right? Yeah, Maybe just the second you get in return. Yeah, it just doesn't do a lot for me. So I don't know. I, but I, so, I, so are you saying a Randall trade would have to do a good amount for you? Because Washington, I mean, what would that trade even look like? Or I, don't, I think he would be a good fit in Dallas. He's from there. I don't know how great the fit with Luca would be, but if he was willing to buy into a role man role, that could work. Cleaver is kind of a can shoot a little bit. Not really an interior big in the same way. I mean, what what are the what are the trades that are possible with Randall? Um, that's the hardest part, right? And this is what the front office has to deal with. But like me personally, I would think that yeah, I think Indiana might be interested. I think Charlotte could be interested. Mitch Kupchak did draft Julius Randall when he was in LA, so that's part of it. Um, I. Don't know who else would be out there. I actually think that Washington would be interesting. I've tweeted about this. I think they would. I don't know what they're doing with the. Would you trade Randall for Kristaps? Would that be the ultimate (laughs) full circle trade? No, I'd actually try to trade him for like Kuzma or something like that. Kuzma and a pick would be nice. Um, I would do that. You wouldn't trade him for Kristaps. No, just I, I couldn't do that. Just as a point of principle. But, okay, if we're removing principles and looking from a basketball standpoint, you know, would you see the merit in that? Yes, I would. I don't know if I would agree with it, but I would see the merit in it, yes. Cool. Um, so go ahead. Yeah, no, I was, uh, I was actually going to... Uh, I wanted to bring this up. Because, you know, we talked a little bit about R.J. Barrett and, uh, you know, whether he deserves the max contract, whether the Knicks should give it to him and all that kind of stuff. I'm actually really interested to see. I want to I, I just take an objective look at these guys at the end of the season. But I think we're getting to a point where, regardless of how good I think R.J. Barrett is, which is, I've been probably one of his, I've been a defender of R.J pretty much since day one um, with the Knicks. I, I I was never really that worried about him, even this year when he was struggling and all this kind of shit. Um, but I do think that like we are at a point now where it's, it's less about, it's less a criticism of RJ and more praise for quickly. But like, I, I've been long... I've long said that RJ is clearly our best prospect. Um, I'm less sure about that now based on how quickly he's played lately, because I think quickly he's played at a super high level post all-star. And I just think like what he brings to the table and the element he adds to the team is like very unique. And if this playmaking uptick also continues like i don't know man that's a pretty awesome fucking player and one that you would argue or you could argue um naturally drives winning more so than rj does at the moment yeah it's interesting because i think so i wrote a piece on quickly before the draft 
I think you were one of the most people, you were one of the people that was most enthusiastic about it. And I think like my take after it was like, he's a really good prospect. It's everything that people say now, right? That as a six man, it was really preseason and his first few games as an, as a Nick point guard that changed my opinion um, about his ceiling. But um, what I would say is I think that the number one thing to bet on both and really all the Knicks young prospect is I think they have a 99.9 percentile work ethic. And that's why you see so many fluctuations, right? You see, you had RJ have a hot point and now he's hitting a bit of a wall because teams have realized he's not going to take mid-range shots. Um, he has a tendency to get tunnel vision. Um, and then with quickly, it was the same thing. It's like, People realize he didn't want to go to the rim, and he had to adjust that. I think RJ's adjustment is coming. Uh, we have five games left, or four games left in the season, so it might not come this year. So, three games. Three games, that's right. Um, so it's not coming this season, but I, I'm pretty sure he's going to find an adjustment to that. Um, because guys of that mold generally are able to get by without mid-range games i think it's more about passing out like i think today was especially egregious um in terms of today and, and the last game uh and, and charlotte too in terms of not finding shooters outside which he's been better at at points this season so it's it i i think it's more i i'm not into comparing iq and rj i think my stance has always been they're in the same tier of our prospects which at times has been controversial on both ends, as you just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I think with RJ, some of the passing and stuff, like to me, that's just that's what you have to deal with to get to the level that we hope he gets to in terms of being a kind of primary-ish level of facilitator, uh, like a top one or two option on an offense. Um, he's going to have stretches where he doesn't find the open shooters or makes the wrong choices. I'm not too worried about it. I think his play style is more indicative of, like, I think if he played, even when he doesn't make great passes or has tunnel vision, those stretches, I think his process is a lot cleaner than somebody like Julius's, for example, which makes me buy into him. How figuring much is, it out. is that because he's always going downhill? Like, if he posts it up, would that change your opinion of that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he posts up now. I think his post-ups are a lot cleaner than Julius's. I just think he has... A, and his thought process, at least this year, has been less muddled than Julius's has been. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think quickly has been really, really, really good uh, post-All-Star. And really playing at a level where you're like, I mean, 100%. Like, I, I, I fundamentally, I'm not sure whether the Knicks should sign a point guard this offseason. I kind of think they shouldn't. I, I really think Quick is good enough to, to start a point for the Knicks, especially since we run so much of our offense through RJ and um, presumably, potentially, maybe we'll see Julius as well. Um, and in that scenario, I don't necessarily need like some traditional high volume. Do you think IQ would be better without Julius, but with RJ? 
Yes. Yeah, I agree too because I think my the times it's paradoxical because I think a big argument I used last year was that if you look at how Julius performed next to IQ, and again this was quote unquote good Julius, um, he was getting to the rim a lot more. He got a lot more free throws. RJ gets to the rim a lot more. Gets a lot more free throws, but it's not just hand waving it away as IQ can shoot versus Alfred Payton, right? Because that's persisted to this year, right? That Alec Burks is, I would say, arguably a better shooter than quickly. Um, and it still persists because of, you know, the way IQ runs the offense, sets up a pace. Um, but I also think that the, the worst parts, like the, the things I hate most about Emmanuel quickly when he plays or when he runs a pick and roll with Julius Randle and it's immediately, it's no read, it's predetermined post-Julius into the switch, right? I think, would you agree with that or no? Um, I, would I think that's the, like, when I hate watching quickly play, that's what it is. Because he will defer, probably, I mean, there's coaching as part of that. Part of that is being a young player, working with your star, but that's what I hate. So I think removing Julius, at least that would help. Because when he plays with Obi, obviously that's it's more of a fluid thing. It's more improvisation um, and all that. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, and I, I do think that I don't necessarily think that he can't play with Julius or that him playing with Julius limits him. But I I agree. Like I think he defers too often, and um, you know I I I feel like when he plays with like today, right, or the or yesterday, uh, when Julius isn't on the floor, he is more comfortable calling his own number and just generally not even not even saying that he's the one shooting or playmaking, but like he is making quicker decisions. I think he gets the ball up the floor faster, and we run less telegraphed shit than we do with when Julius is healthy, um, and I think that helps quickly a lot. Yeah. Um... So, I mean, in terms of signing a point guard, to me, like, I think that it's it's more about can you add we – need, we need talent, right? And we take – I don't know that we need to, quote-unquote, consolidate as much as we need an infusion of talent. Um, consolidation might be the most efficient way of doing that. But, like, when I look at adding a guy like Brunson, I do think rim pressure is still a, an issue, right? Uh, and – Prez mentioned this today. Brogdon is obviously uh, a big plus in that regard. Actually, Prez was saying this year, because of how much more he's gotten to the rim than Brunson, there's an argument he's actually better at that. You know, he's 63%. Brunson is 69%. Nice. nice. Um, but, um, you know, just the volume makes up for that difference. Um, I, I look at it more as just you have to add talent. And if that happens to be at the guard position, whether it's Brunson or Sexton or Brogdon, you take that chance. Brogdon might be the cleanest fit if you do want to start quickly. But um, I wouldn't call point guard even our biggest need. I think we need more athletic wings. Um, I mean, yeah, wings would be the, like, if we draft, there's no, unless we can get Jaden Ivey, like, I don't think there's any reason to draft a point guard. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, we need wings, and 
if we get like if we can consolidate to like a good wing, we can't get Michael Bridges, but someone in that ilk. That would be a better use of resources, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, and that's that's a credit to Quickly's original recent play, and not just Quickly. I, I got to go on a ramp, but Deuce has been. <laughs> I mean, you watch him shoot on his pull ups. It's so smooth. Even one of his misses today, it was contested. He didn't create much space, and it like was halfway down. Like the guy could shoot. Um, he had a step back midi, whereas like if he wanted to go to the rim, he could have. He opted for the midi, which is its own development situation. I'm not saying that that's the right decision. Um, we haven't even seen Yokobaitis. It's like, is point guard as big of a need as people make it out to be? Or is it just the fact that we started Alec Burks because that was, quote-unquote, the best we had? Um, and, and that's, yeah, I talked about quickly, but, like, yeah, the, the offense looks fucking awesome, even when they're not scoring with quickly there. And maybe that's biased, but it looks awesome when he, even when he's not scoring. There's very, even when he slows it down, there's, you know, sets and processes and he generally makes the right read they may not work out but it's just it doesn't seem like it, like i hear people say a thousand times a day the knicks need a point guard and i look at the team quickly out there and i'm like eh, i think he's pretty good i i agree i mean the data agrees with you also the Knicks offense is much better when quickly plays than when he doesn't and you can uh, watch it, right? Like, I mean, look how much the ball moves. Look, look how much better Obi is. I, I think a big part of today, um, like, and this was one of the most infuriating things. Quickly played a lot of his minutes with Todd Gibson at power forward. Yeah, that was so ridiculous. Uh, not just because Todd is, you know, way older than Obi, and you know, not the same part of the Knicks' future or not someone you need to learn as much about, because you know what he's going to give you. Um, but because, like, Obi is unlocked with IQ, right? I mean, how many times did Obi... Like, Obi runs his ass off every play down floor. He looks like... I've said this a million times. I'll say again. I'm going to go with Forrest Gump. That's not to insult Obi's intelligence, who, from all interviews, seems like an extremely intelligent person. But he runs his ass off. And IQ... And to a lesser extent, RJ, are the guys who find him. And IQ just throws these passes that look like quarterback passes. Deuce does it too, by the way. He just doesn't get tons of opportunities. And it's like they didn't they barely played those two together, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 wild. Um and to your point, like, yeah, I think quickly plays really well with Obi and they push the tempo well, which creates better shots, easier shots. Um yeah, I mean, I think I don't know how many more ways I can say it. I think quickly should start. I think he should have been starting, and I would be completely fine and comfortable if the front office determined that quickly is the point guard of the future and didn't make any big moves in free agency or in the draft to to address the, the that that position. Um, because again, to your point, like I do think that a lot a lot of this has gotten out of control in terms of, um, you know, just in terms of how they play, I guess, uh, more or less. So I don't know. I, I'm kind of rambling, but well, I, I just... I do have a question on that. How much has the fact 
that I mean, is it more the fact that Randall has regressed? Because I think before this year, if you told us, right, we had a four seed, Randall was that version of Randall, and we could add a high-level point guard. How much has that changed by Randall's regression versus just IQ improving, right? Because the thing is, we could add a high-level point guard. We could add Donovan Mitchell or Dame Lillard. We're not going anywhere, right? Uh, Unless Randall reverts something like last year. How much does that affect your thought process, or does it not that much? Um, I mean, it has to affect your thought process, right? Like, I'm saying, I think all of us. So maybe this is a better way to put it. All of us expected that Julius would regress, but I was thinking 36, 37 percent from three. Not, I think 30 is what he's at now. I was expecting. I wasn't expecting regression on defense. That was probably even more disappointing. So with that, with them not being reliable, that's kind of the question, right? It's like it's like, you know, if you had a middle if you had a mean with a normal curve around it, he's like on the right or the left tail, right? So it's like the worst possible expectation. How much does that change things about should we seek a high level point guard? Um I think it 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 definitely affects it. Um, I I don't know if it's right that it affects it to the degree it should, but like I also think some of it is just that the Knicks haven't had a point guard in our lifetimes, so people desperately want one. And it's like I I'm just really frustrated because it's like, dude, if like what is quickly doing right now that isn't a starting point guard that isn't worth giving him that position for at least these next three games. You know, I don't know. I, I really have no idea. And it drives me nuts. And it sucks because it also means that we don't get a lot of IQ, RJ, OB together on the floor, which is extremely frustrating um, for me personally. Yeah, I think it's frustrating for all of us. <laughs> that Taj playing as many minutes as he did at the four. Like, I get it if you play with the five. There's not, I, I think he's better. I mean, would you agree he's better than Jericho Sims right now? Who, Obi? No, um, Taj. Oh, Taj? Um, I would still say he is because Jericho Sims makes a lot of mistakes. I, I think he's, I'm very high on him long term, but. I would say that on aggregate, Taj is probably a little bit better, but Sims's high, his best performances are. I mean, there are times where I'm like, do the Knicks really need to keep Mitchell Robinson? I don't know. Um, because when he's really good, he, he looks like I mean, he's he can be a, a really great defensive presence. And, um, you know, I, I... But, yes, you're right in that there are still a lot of moments where he's terrible and... You know, he doesn't know the defensive coverage or he misreads it or whatever it is. Um, but I guess you could say Todd's better, but I, I I would actually say it's kind of a toss-up at this point right now. Um, which, by the way, like, I think of all the criticisms I've had of Tibbs not playing the young guys more, I, I don't think... I think he's done a, a very admirable job of including Jericho Sims, and um, I don't think that he... You know, I, I don't think Simmons was ready at the start of the year to play this type of role. So I'm okay with him 
having to have waited as long as he did to to get more minutes. Yeah, um, I guess in general, like where do they go? Right, um, they have a potential point guard. I don't know that a lot of. I think you probably watch more of other teams than I do. Um, I think the closest analog I can think of is Anthony Simons, maybe last year, but they weren't going to trade Dame. Um, but they have IQ is showing he's ready. I think they have Deuce who's showing he's ready to be a backup at least. Um, they have Grimes who's showing he's capable of of a pretty significant role. But like the Knicks have eight young guys. Like that's just a weird situation. Like I'm not that's not a knock on Tibbs, it's not a knock on the front office, it's just the way it is. That's a weird situation to manage, right? It is, but I think you see a team like Memphis who has play who plays a ton of young guys. Is um, that the model the Knicks should follow? I mean, insofar as what is the Knicks' best path moving forward? Like, yeah, I do think leaning into these young guys, um, you know, we didn't even mention Cam, who's injured, but, like, I liked what I saw of Cam in New York, so very surprisingly, by the way. I, I was he's one of the eight. The ninth would be Mitch, but he's kind of a weird situation with his contract. But yeah, we don't really know what, what's going on with Mitch. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's the move. That, to me, that's the move. The move is move Randall, probably move one of Burks or Fournier, um, and commit to playing these young guys would in you move prominent Rose? roles. Sorry, say it again? And you'd move Rose too, I imagine? I would definitely explore the market for him. Um, if if we're leaning into a more long-term time frame, then I think it's probably worth cashing in on him as an asset before you have to, you know... It just makes sense, I think, to cash in on him as an asset if there's a good deal to be made. Um, whether it is or not is a separate issue. But I mean, do you think do you think it's just a situation of looking long term, or do you think the team could actually be better if you were to replace Randall with OB, consolidate maybe some of the other vets into another wing or, or point guard for those? Like, do you think that the team could be better next year than it is right now, or do you think it is kind of taking a step backwards at that point? Um. So you're. I mean, in terms of wins, right? Are we going to win more games running it back, or trading Randall? Maybe trading Rose too. Um, I think we might be. I think we could definitely have a better win win total next year. But we're in the same, you know, radius, right? We're not making any moves out of that teeter at that point. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. So at that point, would it, would your priority be trading Randall and Fournier or, or, or Burks or whoever? More picks or more? Because we do have a lot of picks, and I think a lot of people are like, well, we don't have room for all these young guys. But at the same time, it's like, well, you might as well, like, if we don't have use for these vets at the same level, which way would you go at that with, with what you're trying to recoup for them? I would prefer draft capital. Um Yeah, I. Hello. I'm here. Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think 
for the Knicks, I, I just think there's a world where you move on from Randall. Let's just say you get Harrison Barnes' expiring contract, and that's it. Let's just say that's all you get. Which I, I mean, I, I, I don't think that would trade would happen, by the way, because I don't think the Kings want to pair Julius with fucking uh, Holmes, with Sabonis, and yeah, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> but like, but, yeah, but like, let's just say that they did that trade. Um, I think there's a legit argument and a really a legitimate chance that the team doesn't drop off as much as we'd expect because I do have faith in these young guys and I think they're going to take another leap. I think they're better than they've gotten credit for. Um, and I've been saying that all year that I think that like one of the worst things that has happened is fans downgrading the talent of the young guys on this team to justify Tibbs's very tight rope with a lot of them. Um, and I stand by that. So yeah, I, I think it could be better. Um, I don't think the drop off would necessarily be as drastic as we would have felt uh, before this season, but you know that's just me. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. All right, cool. I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, Stacy, this is a fun conversation. Uh, let the people know where they can find you and plug anything that you'd like to plug. Um, we will have more craft content, draft content coming in the next week or so. Um, follow Prez. He's the most active. Follow Prez and Alex Draft Alex Film School. Draft Film School. That's his Twitter handle. Um, but he is going to be posting a lot of stuff. Um, I think they tweet a lot about Paolo and, and Caleb Love, who's probably not a Knicks option, but you know someone to keep in the back of your mind. Um, but the Knicks are going to be an interesting part of the draft, you know, probably 10 to 12, where uh, the answers aren't so clear-cut um, as they might be if there are a few spots higher. This is not an indication that we should have tanked, but an indication that we have more draft content to consume and more uh, more things to think about and more engagement. So uh, you should definitely check it out. So that's what I'll plug. Uh, yes, I would. I, I would. Echo those sentiments. Uh, the draft content we have is pretty awesome. Prez, one the only good thing he does is draft content. Actually, he sucks at everything else, especially co-hosting a pod. Um, no, I, it's all of that is definitely, you know, definitely check and all that out. Just remember the Knicks. From what from what Schwinn just said, the Knicks' best prospect right now, he knew about because of a, a Strickland blog profile. On that prospect, that was about twenty five hundred words, I think. Probably more than needed to be written, but I figured out everything about Emmanuel quick. Not everything, but uh, I didn't mention the fact that he had crazy work ethic, and that's I think the part that Schwinn put into that. And you're all seeing the the fruits of that. Uh, not my labor, <laughs> certainly his. <laughs> but um, but um, you know we've uh, we've done a pretty good job. So yes. I, I agree. I think our, our draft content's really good. So check all that out. Uh, I also, again, going to shout out uh, all the work that our buddy Jeffrey Rasmussen, that's at Frank Barrett 119 and uh, Matthew Miranda have done um, in terms of just recapping so many games this season. Um, and I will I, say, if you like Matt Miranda's content, check out his podcast with me at Believe Knicks. Um, 
All right. Well, that's our pod for today. I hope everybody has a great week, and I will see everybody on Friday. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.